Jill Balding, who used to be an editor in Vogue, she has a new book called Luxury, A History. It's diamonds and demlers. It's porcelain roses, a mantle made of 45,000 feathers. It's some crystal staircase, plus a $36 million teacup. The book goes from Cleopatra to Kublai Khan. Someone catty, definitely not me because I'm loving and not catty. Someone might say another edition might include Jeff Bezos's unmarried girlfriend's wallet. So we go to Jill Spaulding. So, Jill, where did the concept of luxury actually begin? Back in the Stone Age, when? Stone Age, for sure. The Neanderthal walked 300 miles to get an ochre, a kind of yellow paint, to bring it back to where they lived, to paint the shells that they put around their neck and to paint their raffia skirts. Really? How do you know that? I mean, you weren't around that long. I wasn't, but they found proof (laughs) because they found the shells. (laughs) How did you learn all this? Because this is a huge book. Libraries, museums, talking to historians. Well... Where did you get the idea? Seriously, this is a gigantic book. I got the idea because as a child, I traveled with my parents everywhere, and I was left in these hotel rooms, these grand hotel rooms, and I could never see all the beautiful stuff that they they were out to look at, these glorious palaces. I was sort of stuck there. Um, And I thought, well, I wonder what they're looking at. I wonder what these beautiful things are. And as I grew older, and I was able to go to hotels for myself, I realized that these were just amazing places that were going to disappear, as they have been doing, by the way, and that I should uh, capture all this, uh, all the people, the glorious glamour. It, it's all going so fast. I thought, oh, I've got to catch this before it goes. Well, I read – well, I didn't read the whole book, but the book is gigantic. One, cha- one chapter says – Water is best, but gold shines. <laughs> Does this mean that the best luxury out of in all time has been jewelry? It means that gold or diamonds or anything rare, any, any rare material, um, is a status factor. It's power. It's lording it over either another person, another town, another empire. What do you mean? I mean, in the days before they found gold? What did they use? Before they found gold, they had other precious things. They had, well, the famous paint, the shells. Their shells today, they're still considered more valuable than gold. Where do you get these shells? Spondylus. They're called spondylus. They're in Brazil. They're off the coast of Brazil. I mean, I have to schlep to Brazil if (laughs) I want to get a bracelet that's more valuable than something I bought in Cartier? Unfortunately, today you can have it sent to you. You just pay a good big check. Okay. Well... What about fashion? Where did it begin? This city and many other cities live on fashion, Paris, New York. But where did the concept of fashion begin? Fashion as we know it, designer fashion, is very modern. It's really after the courts, the great royal families disappeared. You had houses like Charles Worth, you had Dior, you had who began to design clothes. Before that, Clothes weren't designed. They were luxury because they were full of gold thread. They were satin. They were very rare silks that you could, had to have brought from China. Uh, but they weren't actually fashion in the sense of what we think of today. 
you know, I'm going to ask like stupid questions because I don't understand. How did they begin with gold or diamonds or or rubies? How did how did this begin? They mined them, of course, when mining became possible. Before that, they had to pick them up from rivers, like jade was a very early luxury because you could just pick it up as it came down through China, through the rivers, um, and you could carve it. And it was the carving that made the jade more or less expensive or more or less rare. Uh, But later, when they discovered the technique of mining, uh, they could mine gold and they could mine rubies, all sorts of precious stones. What about, seriously, I don't know, the amethysts, the rubies, the topaz, the the, the emeralds, where, how do they find them? Where? Well, for instance, Golconda, until that mine was discovered, there was no such thing as diamonds being more valuable than emeralds. Emeralds were the most valuable stone and rubies that existed. But once they found this mine called Golconda, which produced these huge diamond rocks, and they figured out how to carve them, how to shape them, then suddenly diamonds took over in value because they were the rarest and they shone the brightest. Uh, But it was really over the centuries that these various stones were discovered, and it was not just the quality of the stone. It was very often they carved them. For example, the Indian Maharajas had the rubies carved with poetry on them, verse. Well, how big a stone can you carve a, a poem on? Sometimes they were as big as the palm of your hand. Tell me, I mean, I'm like a child because I love jewelry, but I don't understand. How did they learn to carve them? How, what are they made of? What, what is a diamond? What is a diamond? A diamond is a carbon, pressed carbon, pressed for centuries, millennia, so hard that it, it becomes a, a clear. And if you carve it a certain way, it will shine. If you just leave it completely uncarved, it looks like a, a dull gray rock. So how can you tell, I mean, you're, a professional can tell, yes. but how can a normal person tell if they're looking at a dull gray rock? No, they can't. You and I, if we'd pick something up in the ground, we'd throw it back. We wouldn't know. Well, how do they know if it looks like a dull gray rock? Because I it, mean, I've seen them. Because initially, the, someone somewhere 2,000 years ago, no, it wasn't 2,000 years ago because it was only recently that the mines were discovered, but whoever first maybe scraped it or maybe... Uh, and realized that there was a, a shine, a glint. Okay, so if you're back a hundred, a couple of hundred years ago, yes. and you're scraping it, and yes. you see something to shine, yes, couldn't you think it's just another rock? How do you know diamonds or whatever it is? It is it, years and years and years of experimenting, of trying, of carving. Of cra- these craftsmen, we don't understand today. There are few left, but very few. There's only one craftsman left who can carve diamonds. Carve a very rare diamond, only one left. But in those days, these craftsmen they they carved stone like butter. They put they put little gaps in these tiny uh, windows in these stone walls that today can't be reproduced. So they had the craftsmen who honed their skills over centuries. So can in the next two hundred centuries. There be more diamonds or more rubies or more emeralds? Is the world or the earth still making that? There are still uh, possibly uh, countless mines, but I'm not sure that diamonds and rubies and diamonds and uh, emeralds are going to be a luxury 
even 50 years from now, we seem to be slowly, slowly moving away. Now, I say slowly because the pink star, or the North, it's called the pink star, uh, $83 million it's sold for at uh, Sotheby's, is the rarest by weight commodity in the world. But I just see people moving towards luxury as privacy, luxury as an island in the Bahamas, owning an island, uh, things that are not that material. Um. Forget ugly divorces and prenups. How about sex, romance, love, uh-huh. affection? Doesn't that uh-huh. figure into jewels and expensive yes. things? Yes. Oh, yes. There was a very famous, uh, uh, her name was Berry, um, uh, Francis I, the, the French king, uh, loved this mistress, Madame de Berry, and he would uh, shower her with gold until he tired of her and uh, found someone else, and he asked her to return all his jewelry that he'd given her, and she did, melted into ingots. Oh, how wonderful. (laughs) Oh, how absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Will the earth make these stones in the next 500 million years again? I'm not sure I understand how they got made in the first place. It's the pressure. I don't think they, they won't make more. It's the initial pressure of the Big Bang, whatever caused the universe uh, and the planet, uh, planets to form. Um, the pressure of all that uh, hard rock uh, uh, squeezed together made them. And there's, I suppose you'd have to say there's a finite number, but you could dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and find more mines, except that we're destroying the Earth by, by creating these mines, because it takes something like 200 tons of rock to make a gold uh, uh, artifact. So... Uh, we're moving away. These open pit gold mines are now considered environmentally uh, tragic, and uh, they're trying to stop all this. So they're trying to turn people away from some of these very valuable commodities into thinking other things are valuable. I'm talking to Jill Spaulding about luxury and about her book, which is all about luxury, a history. Will the earth eventually yield all of its emeralds and rubies and sapphires eventually i think we'll be long gone by the time that happened we will but yeah. what what about, i don't know about civilization uh, how much is there in the earth well an infinite amount they say that the amount of gold that has been extracted to this day would fill three olympic swimming pools now that doesn't sound like a lot to me say it again what the amount of gold that has been extracted since the beginning of time to make into artifacts or jewelry will fill only three Olympic swimming pools. So it shows you, I mean, there's, it's rare. It's rare, but there's more there. There's definitely more there. Are there certain areas that have certain other stones, like India has, like rubies, and someone else has yes. emeralds, Brazil yes. has emeralds. Brazil has emeralds. What is that? Is that the way the earth was formed, different deposits? It must be. There's an exhibition that just ended at the Museum of Natural History, which explained all I was all there. That. I oh, saw it all. I it, saw it all. Wasn't it? The, the, it was all phenomenal. Fabulous. I saw it. Yes, except the the recent jewelry, the pieces they chose from Cartier and Tiffany were far less exciting than the ones that, that exist in the world that the Beyonce has or whatever. I mean, Elizabeth Taylor's Peregrina, that famous pearl that Richard Burton gave her, yeah. that you saw on the uh, worn by the King of Spain in the painting by Velázquez, that, to me, was ten times more extraordinary than what they showed of contemporary jewelry at that exhibition. But the rest of the exhibition was sensational, yes. 
Let's get to the facts. Who's got the Peregrina now? <laughs> it was sold for $11.5 million. I don't know. They didn't tell us who bought it at Christie's. Tell me, go go back. You were telling me again before about this very thing, expensive thing that was sold for $85 million. Is the it? Pink Star. It's a pink what is it? diamond. What is it? Pink diamond. Found where? Do you know at anything? At Sotheby's it was sold. I don't know where it was found. It must have been uh, It must have been. Uh, India, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Sotheby's sold it for what? for eighty-one point something million. Do we know who bought it? It was nobody here in locally it, it, in New York. Well, maybe you could find out, Cindy. <laughs> I couldn't. Okay, okay. But lately, lately, with our lives, it's people who want to be important because of elections. But everybody wants to be important. That's how come VIPs got created. Is are we the new jewels? Ah, what a very good metaphor. I think so. I think so. Although these new people, uh, they all have, they're all looking for status. And they're all looking for status through luxuries. The luxuries differ. I mean, Rupert Murdoch bought the Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal. That's a high luxury. Uh, Jeff Bezos not only bought the Washington Post, but he, his blue origin is taking people into space. That's high luxury. So, uh Yes, these VIPs, they're not looking for diamonds. They're looking for other kinds of status symbols. Did you ever notice that Jeff Bezos has not married this lady who left her husband and children for him? I'm so pleased. I (laughs) I understand you. (laughs) I think that was ratty to do. And so I am pleased, and I hope he doesn't ever marry her. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just feeling mean. This book is gigantic. It's huge. It weighs, what does it weigh? You know, I never waited. I, I, it weighs several pounds. Yes, it does. It's huge. It's gigantic. It's larger than a coffee table. It goes from Cleopatra <laughs> to DiCaprio. In it is diamonds, demlers, porcelain roses, a mantle of 45,000 feathers. What the hell is that? What that, are you talking oh, about? Oh, that was Hawaiian, the Hawaiian king. He had a mantle. He had a, uh, we'd call it a cape today, uh, made of these tiny, tiny feathers. So the fact that there were so many of them uh, depleted practically. The bird became extinct, actually. Uh, but it was a status thing. It was a power trip to have that many feathers in your cape. He was the king and the king of Hawaii, which was a very important civilization at the time. Where do you get those, those feathers? From what? Birds. From a goose? From a chicken? No, bird, little mammal birds. They're called mammal birds. Well, they were when they were alive. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. Okay, well, I mean, okay, we're talking about a $36 million teacup? Yes. What are you talking yes. about? It's called the chicken cup. That's the, that's the craziest part about it. It's called the chicken cup. It's Chinese porcelain. It's extremely thin, so much so that you feel that if you squeezed it, it might break. And so that's what made it extraordinary that once this... A uh, Chinese collector bought it. Uh, that he then had Sotheby's pour him tea in it. I'm hoping that the tea was cold, <laughs> yeah. uh, right there as a kind of statement, because and it really you know, made him. He also has four museums by now in China, uh, all with his own art. He and his wife that have collected, and uh, so that was a, a one of those gestures that that uh, went viral. And uh, made him famous in America. I mean, otherwise, who would have heard of him? You were young. What, what, I never heard of him, even if he's famous. <laughs> what, what is a $36 
million dollar. How do you quantify to make it $36 million? Rare. And what the hell is in this teacup? It's rare. Actually, it's unique. Uh, it's the way, it's the, the, the factory that made it. It's the uh, extraordinary detailing. It's the fragility that it's survived 200 years. It's the, uh, uh, all these factors combined to make it so precious. Yeah, because it's unique. That's why. Well, lots of luck. And I uniquely mean, beautiful. Somebody comes over, you, you don't give them some borscht and, <laughs> no. and a cup of tea in this. No, no. no, obviously. Wait, you also talk about you so many things. A staircase made of crystal. Yes, that was. Ext- FS, it's a uh, company called Osler. They were an English company, actually. And they began making small crystal objects. They got bigger and bigger and bigger until they were making chairs. And they made a staircase for the Maharaja of Gwalior. Uh, only one, only one, uh, but many armchairs uh, for these maharajas. And each maharaja had to have a slightly bigger chair than the one before. Uh, and they still are, many of them are still in the palaces. What palace has a, a staircase made of crystal? Well, the palace of Gwalior. Yes. I mean, the family. Do people fa- go up on it or do they put a carpet on it? What, what? <laughs> I haven't been, so I can't, I can't tell but you. But how do you there even must be find road. out about this? Because it was well documented. They paid the inventory of Osler. First of all, they, they photographed them. Then the inventory showed what they was paid for them. And then uh, and then it was known that these Maharajas topped each other trying to get better and better, bigger and bigger crystal uh, furniture. Listen, I don't understand because the people I visit don't have these kind of things. <laughs> I've been to your house for dinner. You don't really, have any of this I stuff. I do not. Nothing. <laughs> and what about, tell me about the life of Cleopatra uh, and Kublai Khan. They lived very heavily. Yes, well, look, Cleopatra was all about status. She was all about power. First of all, she had to show Rome that she could compete and, in fact, could dominate, which she did for a while until we know what happened. Um, but she was the first to... Uh, put silk sails on her barge. It was Silk wasn't known in the West, and she managed to get it imported, and not only imported, but didn't make a dress of it. She made sails, huge sails, purple sails on her barge, and that's why the Romans suddenly all had to have silk, and it became a, a huge Roman luxury. Uh, she was amazing. I mean, she she started a cosmetic industry. She was the first person who had an actual industry of cosmetics, on an island, and uh, as you know, she wore heavy makeup. We don't know if it's because she was less than beautiful, which is what one of the uh, historians claims, uh, or whether just that that was the fashion. But um, so she had her own factory. She made the cosmetics she wanted, and they were extracted, all of them in those days, from precious minerals, from jades, from uh, all different kinds of, of uh, materials that she would, that were extracted from the ground, or the juice of beetles, of all things, <laughs> to get the red. You know, the Queen of Thailand, not easy to get this in a conversation, but as long as you're talking about beetles, the Queen of Thailand has been a friend of mine for a thousand years. She gave me a gold beetle with diamond, diamond eyes oh. and wings made of jade. But she said, a beetle has the longest life of any insect and what she was wishing me was long life. Is there something in famous about a beetle? Well, it was for that reason. It was, it was a symbol of luxury because, yes, long life is the greatest luxury you can wish somebody, really. Okay, what about, well, I'm thinking of some of the others who must have lived 
very high Kublai Khan? Kublai Khan had Xanadu. They called it Xanadu. He built an entire city. And this city, according to Marco Polo's history, which has been actually documented as being 80% true, uh, was really uh, built as a power statement. He wanted to... uh, The Mongols were new to China, and uh, they had to dominate. They had to convince the Chinese that they were powerful, cultured, uh, uh, had reach. And so he built this city that, according to Marco Polo, just every every part of it was a luxury, whether it was the stonework that was carved so closely, whether it was the the meals that were served in the dining areas that were uh, gold tablecloths and cloth of gold was a very big deal. Um, The hunting, he organized these hunts that would go all through the land uh, on great uh, the backs of elephants uh, where uh, he'd he'd put up tents in the middle of nowhere that were ermine-lined. and It was really quite extravagant. Okay, since I'm not going to get anything ermine-lined from you (laughs) and I'm not going to get a crystal (laughs) chandelier, I'm going to say thank you, you, Jill Spaulding, for coming here. You were adorable and I love you. Oh, Cindy, it's a treat. You are a national treasure. (laughs) Thank you, honey. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.